Matthew 28, starting in verse 16. Familiar passage, many of you uh, know it as the Great Commission. Matthew 28:16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We've been in this series on covenant, right? And in this word, this, this key word you've heard for two weeks now, going on three today, diatheke, which really comes back to who's the authority in your life. Remember last Sunday we watched that cute little video about the stool and who's sitting on the stool, who's sitting on the throne of your life? The question was asked through that video last Sunday, who makes the decisions? Who makes the decisions in your life? Right. And we work through that. And, and if you look in, in verse 18, what does Jesus say? Then Jesus came to came to them and said, what's the first two words? All what? All authority. Right. He's reasserting that, you know what? I should be on the throne because all authority rests in me. Right. And then he says this. Then he gives one command. And, and if you're familiar with it, there's only one command there. It says make disciples. Make disciples. And that, that is very important as we start today, because I wanted you to understand this, this series on covenant is really us as church leadership, especially me as, as, as the pastor. What am I called to do here? What are we called to do here? Make disciples. You have to understand that we're not just called to make converts. I'm not just called here to get people to, to, to respond to the gospel by saying a prayer. OK, and I'm not just called here to make church goers. Okay, those two things are radically different from what Jesus is saying. He says, make disciples. Disciples, someone who is who is a committed all in follower of Jesus. Right. Sometimes in the church we think, oh, I'm a convert. And then there's then there's disciples. Ever hear that distinction? Oh, discipleship are, are for the super Christians, the more mature, the ones that are. Here, here, you got you gotta, you gotta eliminate that distinction, because as a believer, we are all called to be disciples. Disciples, you're you're called to be a disciple. Okay, now you may be in varying degrees. Some of you may be brand new and you're just kind of learning the ropes. You know, you're kind of like in the pediatric <laughs> department. You know, and we're kind of nurturing you along. You've just been born again, and you're kind of new. Some of you. Are more mature and longer, right? And 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 yet, and yet, all of us are called to be what? Disciples, disciples. We're all called to be disciples. The church leadership at this church. What are you guys about there on, on Sundays? We're we're all about making disciples. We're all about making disciples, and that is why understanding covenant is so important. Because look what he says. He says, therefore, go and make disciples. That's the one command in this passage. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey what? Everything I have commanded you. See, as disciples, our heart should be obedience at the core. And yet, why is it? Why is it? 
that we tend to be kind of selective. We tend to be kind of selective. And, and as I read this passage, and I, was, I was trying to think, okay, well, how does this relate to covenant? Well, it goes back to whose terms. On whose terms have you come to Jesus? Right? We've talked about diatheke. We're going to look at it again. But I want, to watch, I want you to watch a video. And, and the reason I want to show you this is because here it says, teaching them to obey what? Everything. Keep that in mind. As a disciple, that we're, we're, to, we're to be desiring to obey. Jesus says, if you love me, what? You'll obey me. Right? Look at this video and then we'll continue. Go ahead. We are called to make disciples. And every Sunday, we open God's Word. And we believe at this church that this is inspired of God. It's the authoritative Word of God. As a believer, this is, this is it. This is the ultimate authority. God speaks truth through this. And we preach and we teach. On Wednesdays, Bill has done an incredible job teaching through the school year. And then we all leave. And I wonder how many of us selectively omit passages in the Bible that might be uncomfortable, that we may not like, that we scratch our head and we wonder, did, did God really mean that? Right? We, we see that and, and, and we're like, oh, I'd never do that to my Bible. And yet, if we're honest, we kind of do. Because whenever we selectively choose not to obey something that is very clear in God's Word, what we're kind of doing is taking the Sharpie. And we're kind of saying, Lord, man, I like, I like to forgive us our debts, but forgiving others, whoop, whoop. That's what the person was doing in there. They were, they were selectively obeying. And yet Jesus says, if we're going to make disciples, we're to teach everyone to obey everything I have commanded. So, so how, do we, how do we overcome this, this, this sin nature, this desire to selectively obey? And it goes all the way back to what? Covenant. Understanding the basis of how you came to Christ and what relationship there was, right? If you look in your notes... We've been looking through this word diatheke. It's on the bottom right. We looked at Noah. God sets up this covenant. He sets it up. He tells Noah, this is what I'm doing according to my plan, right? Diatheke, it, it, it's the New Testament word for covenant. It's a covenant between a greater and a lesser. And that, as I've been in ministry for 20 years, that has been the core issue I have seen countless times when people come for counseling. Because when people come to counseling, one of the things I say pretty up front is, hey, you came to me, I'm a pastor. And you got to realize, as a pastor, this is all i got to share with you. Not my opinion, not my advice, this is all i got. So if, you, if you're coming to me for counsel, we're going to open God's Word and see what, how it applies to your situation. And then when you leave here, it's going to be up to you to choose to obey it or not. See, it comes down to the Word of God. And, and we've, we've seen over the last two, two Sundays, it's like, why is he spending so much time on diatheke, diatheke, diatheke? Because we have this desire to sit on the stool. 
right? And we might be good for a while. And Jesus, you're on the throne. Jesus, you're good. Jesus, you're good. Maybe in 90% of our life, Jesus is on the throne. But when it comes to that 10%, boom! I got this. I've always had this. Right? And, and it's part of the sanctification process. Really, don't, don't beat yourself up if, if you do that. Because part of the sanctification process is letting Jesus be on there 100% of the time. That's another way to look at sanctification. Okay, when I first was a believer, it was like, I'm on there 90% and Jesus is on there 10th. And as you've grown over the years, how many of you have seen that percentage grow where you've given more and more of your life to Jesus? And he sits on there at a higher percentage. That's sanctification. Isn't that awesome? You're growing. If you can say right now that Jesus sits on the throne of your life at a greater percentage than before, celebrate that. Celebrate that. Don't beat yourself up, right? But now remember, okay, because here's the thing. As you grow and mature, I've just shared my own personal life. As you grow and mature, and as, as you realize um, God's desire to have all of you, that final 10%, that's the stuff. That's the stuff. That's the stuff we didn't even know we were holding on to. That's the hard part. That's the deep, core stuff. The stuff that terrifies us. The stuff, the stuff that if we give it up, we think we're going to literally die. Right? It's that 10%. And that's fine. Right? You may not get the whole 10 in one shot. It may be like, okay, 90.1, 90.2. Right? But that, that final amount in your sanctification process, why does it get harder and harder? Because he goes deeper and deeper into your heart. Because he wants more and more of you. All of you. And I'm learning that in my own life, this, this diatheki, why has it impacted me so much? It just personally? Because I realize when he's asking me to give those, the, the, the deepest core of me, boy, I resist. Boy, something wells up in me and just wants to say, I don't like that one. And then I have to, and then, then he's like, okay, but I thought we were in diatheki. I thought it was a greater to lesser, Richie. I thought it was on my terms. See? And it's still uncomfortable, but it's truth. And it's humbling. And the only thing you can say at that point is, yes, Lord. See, this this has been very challenging for me, personally, because God's stirring my own heart with these things. And, And... and he's reminding Richie, it's not on your terms, bud. This isn't on your terms. It's a diatheki, greater to lesser covenant that you're in with me. Right? And, and, and that's why we're spending so much time on this, right? If you turn it over, look at, the, look at how this impacts us in our daily life. Covenant is the end of independent living. Right? When we, when we enter into covenant with God through faith in Jesus... It's no longer I who live. There is no more I. There is no more I, right? And then the examples of God setting the terms, right? John 3, Jesus says, hey, you must be what? Born again. There's the terms. Right? And we've understood that this diatheki greater to lesser, God sets it. And now remember this. This is why we spent all that time on grace at the beginning of the year. In His grace and in His love... God set up His plan 
to establish a diatheke covenant with us so that if we accept it, what happens? What's, what do we reap? We saw that at the end of last week. What do we reap? When you, when you say, Lord, okay, I see it now clearly. It's your agenda. You sent Jesus. You planned it all out on your terms, according to your grace and your love for me when I was unlovable, when I was lost in sin. You set this whole thing up. Now, when I receive Jesus and I accept it on your terms, what do we get? Eternal life. What else do we get? Peace. What else do we get? Joy. What else do we get? All the benefits, right? You win the spiritual lottery. Ephesians says you have been given every spiritual blessing. You're put into the body of Christ. Turn to the person next to you and say, I got you. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right? Right? Yeah, I got you, babe. Right? Turn to that person and say, you're stuck with me forever. Go ahead. Right? Woohoo! Right? Right? See, we tend to, and, I, and then we shared last week, this, this word authority, kind of some of you, when you hear authority, it like your, the hair stand up on the back of your neck. You're like, authority? He's going to boss me around. You know, we talked about negative experience we've had with authority. So when we say Jesus says all authority has been given unto me, when God says it's on my terms, some of us go, oh, mm. and we cringe and we sort of push back. But we, we forget, wait, it's on your authority. It's according to your grace, unmerited favor, nothing I could do. So if I just accept everything on your terms, I reap all the blessings. I shared with you at the end of last Sunday, how is that like a no-brainer, I'm in? You get what I'm saying? It's like, sign me up. Sign me up. I reap eternal life. I reap a new family of God. I reap all of God's blessings. I'm in. But on whose terms? His. His, right? And we looked at that. We saw how God sets the terms in marriage, right? Roles, husband and wife, even in the church, church leadership. Jesus says, I'll build my church. Hey, shepherds, this is what you're to do. Hey, congregation, this is what you're to do. He sets up the roles. It's all in his terms. We're just being obedient, right? And then the consequences. Let's turn to Luke 18. Luke 18. Wonderful exchange between Peter and Jesus. Luke 18, verse 28. Peter said to him, to Jesus, We have left all we had to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. What is Peter saying right there? Hey, Jesus, okay, we came on your terms. We came on your terms. And Jesus affirms them. Hey, here's the deal. You're going to receive many more. You're going to get blessings in this life and ultimately eternal life, right? Right? But before that, before that, we're going to look at an, another uh, passage. Go up to verse 18. Go up to verse 18. I shared this quote with the worship team this morning. It's from Neil Anderson. 
in his book, The Bondage Breaker. He says this, Satan's ultimate lie is that you are capable of being the God, little g, of your own life. And his ultimate bondage is getting you to live as though his lie is truth. Satan's ultimate lie is that you are capable of being the God of your own life. And his ultimate bondage is getting you to live as though his lie is truth. Right? We saw that all the way back in the garden last week, right? Hey, Eve, Eve, God knows when you eat that, you're going to be like him. And it's the same thing many of us hear. Oh, come on. Church, that's just a bunch of rules. You don't need God. Be free. Be your own God. Be your own boss. Right? And, and Anderson in that quote is saying, you know what? That's the ultimate lie from the devil. Be free. Because in your human freeness, you're actually what? In bondage. You're actually in bondage. That's how he flipped it. Many people will look at you, 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 not me, you, who came to church and say, you go to that, you go to church? Dude, you're in bondage. They will look at you, who came today, and say, why do you go there? That's just bondage. You read the Bible? That's just bondage. That's just God telling you what you can and can't do. He's just a great cosmic killjoy. You guys are in bondage. I'm free. I, I, no one tells me what to do. On Sundays, I have the whole day off. I'm my own boss. I'm actually free. All of you at OVCF on Sunday, you're all in bondage. Right? Gets flipped. Gets flipped. That's what's going on here, right? And this, this example here of the rich young ruler kind of kind of exemplifies this, right? Some very familiar passage. Luke 18, 18, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, we've read this, and most of us focus on the fact that the rich young ruler was rich. And so we tend to focus on, man, that guy was just holding on to his wealth. That guy was just kind of greedy. That guy was just putting money over heaven. How could he do that? Really, what's going on here in, in, in covenant? He was coming to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life on my terms? And Jesus' answer was not what he was expecting. Because Jesus was essentially saying, okay, rich ruler, don't, don't, ruler, right? So he's used to ruling others and his own life. He was a ruler. Jesus says, hey, you know, and we always oh, sell this, sell this. Jesus wasn't really saying you've got to be in poverty. What he was kind of saying in covenant language was, you've got to come on my terms, bud. You really want eternal life? It's on my terms. My terms. And this is something that, that we have to wrestle with, and that's why we're spending three weeks on this. Because I guarantee you, 
you're going to go home today and at some point, probably before you lay your head down, Jesus and God's going to ask you to do something and you're going to rear up and you're going to have to be reminded, wait, on whose terms? On whose terms? Right? And it's, it's this issue that, that just con- continually rears. And here's a good thing. The more, you, the more you learn, the more I learn to submit and surrender to his terms, it gets easier. Amen? It just gets easier and easier. Okay? Not that we're perfect, but it does get easier. So we see that. And then we look at Jesus' words. Turn to Mark 8. Mark 8, 34. Mark 8, 34, right? You see the word disciples again. Mark 8, 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? But what can a man give in exchange for his own, for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory and with the holy angels. Verse 34, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, that word deny, right away, many of us think of oh, self-denial. Self-denial, oh, I can't do this, I've got to deny myself that. And it doesn't mean self-denial. To deny yourself is literally, okay, I'm going to give you a definition. It literally means to completely disown, to utterly separate oneself from someone. Right? It's the same word that Peter used when he denied Jesus. Right? Denying self is not the same thing as self-denial. Some people will practice self-denial by withholding certain things from themselves. Right? Denying self is far more intense than that. Denying self implies that I stop listening to my own voice. I stop leaning on my own power. I stop trying to fulfill my own will and wishes. When I truly deny myself, I have no will but his will. When Jesus says, hey, you want to come after me? You have to deny yourself. It means the end of yourself. It means that we humbly submit to his will. It's more than just, okay, okay, and that means I can't do this. I got to do this. No. To deny yourself is literally, I'm done. I'm done, Jesus. Right? This is Jesus speaking. To those who would come after him. Okay, this is Jesus saying, if you want to come after me, the first thing you got to do, you got to say, I'm done, self. I'm done. Okay? And then turn to Luke 14. Luke 14. Luke 14, starting in verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother 
his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my what? Disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my what? Disciple. What? I think some of us are ready to pull out the black sharpie on that one. Is he serious? Now, he's not talking about literal hate. What he's talking about is loyalty and love. What he's saying is, if you want to be my disciple, you need to love me and be so loyal to me that if someone were to compare that love to the love you have for your family, they would say, dude, there's no comparison. He's not talking about hating anyone. He's talking about him being the number one love and you being absolutely loyal to him. If you want to be his disciple, all other relationships pale in comparison. That's what he's saying. Now, remember that 10% we talked about right here? Ooh, this is where, because I can give away some of my vices. I can give some of, I can, I, can, I can let Jesus have some of the bad behaviors. But now he's touching my family. Now he's touching those that are near and dear to me. Now he's asking something that really, I just hold really tightly. And this is where diatheke becomes real. On whose terms? On whose terms? Right? This is where I was saying, okay, yeah, because in our sanctification, we start giving away bad behaviors and we let Jesus take the throne and, and our thought life and our language and what we watch on TV and how we spend our money. And then he just keeps going deeper and he keeps pushing and he's pushing. It's your mother. It's your father. It's your wife. It's your kids. And it's your own life. Let's just get right to the, it's got to, you got to, you got to be willing to lay it down. If you want to be my what? Disciple. And we're all called to be disciples. And, and we used to, I used to think of this when I was a new believer, like, okay, I, I, I say, I, I put my faith in Jesus, I'm saved by grace. Man, that giving up, taking up your cross, that's for the super Christians. That's for somebody else. I'm just going to kind of stay here in the toddler room for a while. And I'm going to let the super Christians deal with taking up their cross and denying themselves. No. The whole point is that if you're a believer, you're all moving in that direction. You're all, we're all to be moving in that direction. And that's why we need each other. That's why we need each other. That's why when something's going on in my life and I can call Tyler or I can call Bill and say, Dude, I need your help. What I'm really saying is I'm struggling with the throne issue right now. I need you to help me to get Jesus on the throne of this issue because if it's left up to me, I'm going to blow it again. So when we're calling each other, when we're in covenant, it's really kind of a who's on the throne issue. Or if we've blown it and we call someone, hey, dude, I really blew it. What you're really saying was, dude, for, for that moment, I sat back on the throne. And for that moment, I was making the shots. I was calling the shots. I was making decisions. And you know what? I blew it. Part of the confession, why we confess sins to one another, is to help the throne issue. It's the sanctification, right? It's sanctification. Ty, if you can come up real quick. Jesus says to take up his, your cross, right? And again, you know, you've heard this before. I've been in church. You know, cross isn't jewelry. What, what was the cross? 
What was the cross in Jesus' day? You can hold it up there. What was the cross? The what? Method of execution. Tens of thousands were crucified. One of the most horrific, horrific ways that, the, that were ever invented to kill people. It was brutal. And what they used to do was line the streets leading into the city with people being crucified as a warning to anyone who would step out of line. And so along comes Jesus. He says, hey, you want to follow me? Take up yours. See, we just don't get the impact of that as the early church. The early church would have freaked out. The early church would have said, are you kidding There's only one thing that the cross is known for, torture and death. And Jesus is saying, if we want to follow him, I got to take mine. What? What? And that's really tough until you go back to whose terms is it? On whose terms? Right. And what was really interesting was, Bill, if you stand up, he says, take up the cross. Right. And what would happen is if we lean this on Bill. When someone was crucified, they would make them walk through the streets. And, and historically, generally, it was, it was just the crossbar, but we don't have that capability here. They would walk through the streets. And what they were saying implicitly, what the Roman government was saying implicitly was, we are right in this sentence. His sentence, he's a criminal. We are right. He is wrong. And he is being justly punished. The Romans were saying we are right. What Jesus is saying. Take up your cross. And when you take up your cross, you're saying to the world, Jesus is right. And I'm following him to my death. You see, if Bill were to walk up and down the arcade this morning, what he would be saying, if someone said, hey, man, why are you doing that? It's kind of weird. Why are you doing that? What he could say, well, you know, I'm just saying, Jesus is right. What the Bible says about Jesus is 100% right, and I'm just following him ultimately to my death if I need to. It's a powerful statement of the rightness of who Jesus is. Thank you. That's what he's saying, right? In Luke, look at that verse again. Luke 14, 25. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and his own wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So Jesus is just teaching this stuff. He's like, and you've you got to realize the early disciples, they must have been reeling. Everyone who thought Jesus is going to conquer the Romans, Jesus is going to kick them out, Jesus is going to bring all this good stuff to us. All of a sudden, Jesus is going to die? You got to realize that they were they were just like you, just like me. Like, what? Are you serious? And all along, it's based on this diatheke covenant relationship where Jesus says, you got to come to me on my terms. You got to come on. And then here's the great thing, guys. Jesus just doesn't say all this stuff. He lives it. He lives it. Turn to Matthew 26. So Jesus has been saying all this stuff to his disciples. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. I got to be number one. You got you to even like be willing to give up your own life, right? He's talking it. Question. 
Did Jesus talk the talk or did he walk the walk? He walked the walk. You want the ultimate example of diatheke? When I struggle with, with whose terms, when I struggle with who's on the throne, you know what I do? I listen to Jesus' teaching, but then I read Jesus' example. I read Jesus' example, right? Matthew 26, 36. Garden of Gethsemane. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, or Abba, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. And verse 44 says he did it a third time. That word cup. In the Old Testament, it's figurative language for the wrath of God. Jesus, understanding God's eternal plan, understands what he's about to endure. The agony, the suffering he's about to endure, being made sin for us, enduring the cup of wrath for our sins. He's in the garden and he's having a diatheke moment. He's on his knees and he's saying, Father, if there's any way that I don't have to go through this, nevertheless, your will be done. What he was saying is, nevertheless, on your terms. Nevertheless, on your terms. I don't even know if we can humanly fathom what, what, what he was agonizing with. And, and I share this with you because here's, my, here's the question, here's the application, one of them for us this morning. What is, it in, what is it in your life? What is it in your life that you're holding so dearly, so tightly, it's so clenched, and you're kind of symbolically saying, Lord, if there's any way I can follow you without giving this up, can you show me? You may be saying, Lord, this, this, this means so much to me. Lord, this is so near and dear. Do you really want this? Do I really have to give this up? I've given you everything else. Do you really want this? It's a diatheke moment. It's, that's, you, that's what Jesus, and you've got to make the choice. You've got to say, nevertheless, here it is. Here it is. See, as I've worked through this, I've worked through this. I've been challenged. You know, there are some things that happened very young in my life that were very traumatic. Very traumatic. And as a result of those things that happened, there's a part of my life that I, 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 I just put under Fort Knox. So I locked down. And I locked it down to protect myself. Things happened that were so just crazy that as a young kid to make sense of them, I, I went somewhere, and I locked it all down. And, and as I've, I've been challenged with this, 
God's like, you know that stuff behind the vault? It's time. It's time. And I was in here last night, in the dark, right there, struggling. Because this stuff is terrifying to even give to God. I have held this stuff, and it has protected me for 48 years. And now God's like, you got to give this up, man. It's time. And I'm like, ugh. Because here's the thing. I don't even know what my life is like without holding this stuff. I, I, I'm like, oh, you know, and I'm struggling with God through it. And I'm like, Lord, I've held this stuff for so long, I don't even know what to do without it. This is all the stuff I've patted myself and protected myself and the way I thought things and felt things and, and walled people up. He's like, you got to give that up. And I was like, are you kidding me? Isn't there another? I'm bargaining with God. And I'm walking through this. I'm not saying I got all resolved last night, but I'm telling you where I got to last night was a place of, Okay, I get your pastor. I get your all this. I get your all that. Yeah, sure. But now I want to deal with you. And all that stuff that happened when you were a little kid that just makes you cringe. You've got to give it up, man. And that's kind of the process where I'm at. I'm, I'm like, that's where he brought me to the garden. And I can, I can understand Jesus just like, Are you, Lord, really? Really? Because there's a part of me, when I expose this and I open the vault, quite honestly, I feel like I'm going to die. I really feel like this stuff is just going to overwhelm me and, and I don't even know how to cope with it. And yet I see Jesus' example. Jesus' example. Nevertheless, nevertheless, not my will. Yours be done. And what helped would help because sometimes we read the stories and, and I remember I went to Israel I don't know, several years ago and, and I had brought back a little olive branch and I couldn't find it but I remember my, my daughter Tierra just went and I asked Shiloh to find the olive branch from the Garden of Gethsemane that Tierra brought back and it's not like this is an idol to me but this helps me know it's real it helps me know it's real it's a real garden. Jesus was really there. And Jesus understands what I'm going through right now. He does. And I take comfort in that. I take comfort. And I can kind of hold this and I can go, okay, okay, it's real. It's not just theory. It's not just myth. It's real. It's a real garden. And I remember sitting there and, you know, Oh, man, that's where Jesus was and all this kind of stuff. But I just want to encourage you, right? When we come to the Lord, it's because of His grace. because of His mercy. It's because of His love. And He says, I have so much to bless you with. But you got to do it on my terms. you got to do it on my terms. And there's going to be moments when you are scared to death and, and the, the, the literal truth of giving up your own life rings true. 
And what rings true for me may ring true for you and different. But when you get to that point, Jesus just simply says, I get it. I was there in the garden. I'm going to walk you through this. We're going to do this together. Amen? Let's pray and we'll do communion. Lord, thank you. I thank you that it is on your terms, because if it was on my terms, I'd have messed it up a long time ago. And yet, I know that uh, in my own life, and for many here, we celebrate the many things we've given up to you, and, and yet, in the sanctification process, you want all of us. And there are times in our life where it's just flat out scary. Because it really feels like we're going to die. And I thank you for your words. I thank you for your teaching. I thank you for your example, Jesus. And as we prepare for communion, we're reminded that it was the new cup, the new covenant. And the cups we hold remind us this morning that through faith in you, we are in a covenant relationship. A binding solemn, eternal relationship. And I thank you for that. And Father, as we uh, listen to the words of song about the cross, and as the elements are distributed, would you, uh, would you remind us that you're real as we hold these plastic cups and the reality of touching them Would you remind us that you really love us? And enable us to be the disciples that you call us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.